0: Uh, I began last week by saying that um, even though we have uh, structured this uh, these classes as a something of a series ideally they will also will stand each of them on their own um, as well as being a bit of a progression so this is all uh, as I said last time being made up as we go along so um, uh, you know if there are things that I say that seem to be based on something that you've missed. Like you, know, you come in at chapter two or three or halfway through the 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 plot, then you know please feel free to to stop me and to ask questions and to have things clarified. So because the point is, this is for you. <laughs> and so if things are, are being said or being uh, uh, kind of referred to that that uh, are mystifying or you, you are not. Um, understanding what that's about, then don't be shy please feel most welcome to um, to chime in or to ask for some clarification. Cause, uh, it's not for me, it's for you it's, uh, <laughs> that I'm here, so uh, whatever we can do to be a benefit. So uh, last week's session was based around the theme of uh, posture and focus, and uh, this evening's um, theme is uh, pretty broad. Uh, called, and it is entitled, Movement and Stillness. Um, and it couldn't get a lot broader. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and then I was ruminating on this, and I think, well, how am I going to cram all this into one evening? <laughs> there's a few different themes that came up um, that I thought would be useful for people at different, in different ways, in different stages of of uh, experience and, and um, uh, development of meditation. Well, firstly, maybe the thing to say is that um, yeah, what we're trying to develop with meditation practice, whether it's Buddhist or, or, or whatever, is um, we're drawing upon a natural qualities that we have. We're not trying to acquire anything special from outside or trying to make ourselves be in some sort of forced or, or unnatural way, and so that in in our nature, just like with all things in the um, in the living world that they we require both strength and flexibility there needs to be both the qualities of stability and steadiness and also that of adaptability so um, an obvious example is is like a, a tree or a plant like these these sweet peas so um you know, if these if these sweet peas were were absolutely rigid, then uh, you know, as soon as a, a a breeze came along or something kind of knocked against them, they'd they'd snap, they'd break. And you know, a dead plant will will do that; they'll they'll break. But again, if the if the plant is has got no strength in it, if it's completely flexible, then they'd just be kind of drooping over the edge of the vase, kind of <laughs> in a very floppy manner. So that when we see a tree, we don't necessarily think of that or a plant, but that's what's there, isn't it? If the, tree is, uh, the tree needs a firmness to stand upright and to, to, uh, to uh, be embodied, uh, but it needs that flexibility so that when uh, the wind comes or other changes occur, it can, it can move with them. So this basic uh, um, theme for the evening, Movement and Stillness, is a lot about uh, looking at these different elements of our being and seeing how they work together, both that in us which can be stable and steady and that which is flexible and adaptable. Um, oftentimes when we, we think about meditation or we, we hear or read about meditation then it can seem like what we're trying to do is we're going for absolute um, stillness, like stop everything, <laughs> shut it all up. Stillness, silence, you know, uh, space, that's what I want, because in a way what we often feel most burdened by is agitation. Noise and and crowdedness, no space, no stillness, no silence. So, because we feel an absence of that, then we, we long for its alternative. So then we can misunderstand meditation and feel like it's a worshipping of space, or often uh, like it, the whole sort of thrust of Buddhism on the West Coast in the in the late fifties and sixties. You know, emptiness was the big thing because everyone was so just, everyone was so full. But <laughs> emptiness is extremely attractive, right? I could just clear out some of this junk, and it became a whole theme for, for the counterculture, like emptying things out. But um, if we then uh, worship that kind of um, stillness, or silence, or emptiness, stasis, then we're in a way we're, we're missing a large part of our life. So, um, and also the same particularly with the thinking mind, um, and this will come up probably in most of the sessions that we have here is this, um, probably for everyone in the room, the, um, the chattering mind, the, in, the, uh, the, the kind of um, collection of commentators <laughs> giving their opinions about everything, you know. And it's not as though we just had one commentator going inside, there's a whole committee. And like any committee, not all the members agree with each other. <laughs> So that uh, being able to, to work with the chattering mind, the mind which was en- endlessly creating the past, the future, and opinions about everything else, um, we can feel very burdened by that. So we can think, if only this thing would just shut up, <laughs> just shut up, give me five minutes. And then when it does stop, we feel, ah, bliss. But if if not thinking was, enlight- was equivalent to enlightenment, then the, the Buddha would have... Been prescribing some kind of um, uh, ancient form of thorazine to, <laughs> to just wipe out the thinking process, and then we'd all be happy. You know. But it doesn't work that way, it's not just a matter of not thinking. Like uh, uh, my teacher Ajahn Chah would often say, um, Well, a water buffalo doesn't. This is in Thailand, for the water buffalo is like the epitome of the. The uh, extremely quiet mind.
1: <laughs> it's a very
0: polite way of putting it. They have this aura of incredible density, this.
1: <laughs> they, can,
0: they can just sort of hang around in, uh, in, the, in the rice paddies and chew the cud for like hours and then. Or you'd say, like a chicken, you know, a chicken can sit on its nest for like days and days and days. So, you know, just be able to, to sit in meditation. And not think for days and days. So, said, "Well, you might develop as much wisdom as a chicken has, <laughs> you know, which is probably not a great deal, you know, just because we can sit still or we're not thinking." So, even though there's a, it's good to acknowledge the sense of relief that we can get from that. Those qualities. It's a mistake to to um, over worship them. And so that what I, I'd like to, if anything, through this evening is bringing across how. These qualities blend with each other, and it's a, a question of respecting, you know, both to, both of these elements. So maybe um, just to, to begin with, um, talking about that, maybe extending some of the things I was saying about the meditation practice that we we looked at last week, which probably a number of you are, are familiar with, maybe some not, which was uh, what is known as mindfulness of breathing, which is a you know a simple technique uh, of bringing the attention to the natural flow of the breath, not trying to breathe in any special way, not trying to breathe deeply or slowly or quickly or doing anything with the breath, but just as the body breathes naturally, using the rhythm of the breath as a, um, a focal point for attention, um, principally to help train the, uh, the mind, train the attention to stay with the present moment, principally because the body only exists in the present moment. Like our mind can create an imaginary future or go off and fabricate the the past. We can go off and live in memories, but you can't get the body to go along too. (laughs) The body's always sitting here while you're kind of off on your fantasy. The body's here when you come back, right? Usually. (laughs) (laughs) If your body's gone, then you know it's time to really start worrying. But the the body and the body's functions, like the the breath, uh, are a natural, easy, surefire way of keying into the present moment, and the more that we can keep the attention with the present, then the more we can, um, in a way, train the heart to not create problems, not to get lost in anxieties and um, fears or obsessions or all of the other ten thousand distractions that we can create. So with the mindfulness of breathing practice, it's um, in short, and uh, we'll, we'll do have a meditation exercise in a, a little while, bringing the attention to the natural flow of the breath and just using that, that, that simple complex of feelings and the sensations of the breath moving as like a, the center of a mandala or like the, the center of a, a flower, like these beautiful roses, you know, the, the eye can go to the center, the heart of the rose. So, rather like a mandala, like a sort of symbolic circular drawing, like a, a beautiful flower, you place the the breath, like at the very heart of the mandala, the heart of the of the flower, and then uh, with that, with the attention resting at that spot, then we let the other um, experiences or thoughts or perceptions, the sounds we hear in the street, or the feelings in the in other feelings in the body, or stray thoughts. Let them be around the periphery where the outer petals are uh, the edges of the mandala. Let keep bringing the attention to the, the, the breath at the, at the center as if that, you know, it's like the, the balancing point, the axis of our attention. So um, a way of getting a sense for the relationship of, of, of movement and stillness then, <clears throat> one way of, of working with this or, or looking at this is... Um, we first of all begin to notice, we, we bring the attention to the breath, and we notice how the breath moves, breath, and i just sort of do it from side to side, so say this is the in-breath over here and then the out-breath over there, so the breath moves gently, kind of breathing, uh, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, and then we begin to notice that um, there's a pause after the out-breath, then there's a pause for a few seconds before the in-breath begins and then the in-breath begins and then you get to the end of the in-breath and then there's another pause and then it turns. So what we can begin to, the, first of all, the attention is just sort of on the movement of the, of the breath, but then as we develop it we can begin to, let's say, uh, keep the attention steady when the breath it, reaches the end of its cycle. So at the, the end of the in-breath, keeping uh, the attention on, on the breath, even though the breath isn't moving. It's like, okay, we're now staying with that still point at the end of the in-breath. And following the breath again, and then getting to the, uh, the out-breath. Staying with the still point at the end of the out-breath. Now, that's a very easy for the, uh, kind of launch pad for the wandering mind. In my, my early years in Thailand, and I began, I walked into a monastery in northeast Thailand about 25 years ago, uh, never having meditated before. Uh, which I did not know what I was getting into. <laughs> but uh, having first sort of been instructed in this kind of meditation method, what I found was that the mind was so eager to, to wander and go off and play different places, even when I could keep my attention on the breath, I'd get to the end of the in-breath and then I'd have a quick,
1: <laughs> a,
0: a quick excursion quick trip to India and then back <laughs> before the, the, next, uh, the next cycle began. Because that's legal, you know, I'm not wondering. I was there when it began.
1: <laughs>
0: so and then the end of the out-breath I found was a little bit longer so you could get all the way back to Europe.
1: And, <laughs>
0: and home again before the next cycle started. So it's very easy to, for the mind to wander at those points. So um, as we train the, the, the mind in sustaining attention, and we find that the breath can reach the end of its cycle and we can stay with that. There's nothing moving, but the attention can stay with that quality. And at those moments, what we start to experience is a natural stillness of the mind. And what I mean is rather like the stillness of the mind is rather like the space of this room. So, you know, when, when uh, say, when Mary came to set up the yoga class before this session happened, maybe this room was completely empty. And so when it's only you, you might the emptiness of the room or the space in the room might be very obvious. If there's a crowd of us here, then we don't notice the space, do we? We notice each other, our friends, or, or the, you know, myself, or the shrine, or, or whatever. The attention goes to the objects. So similarly, when we're following the breath, then the attention will, go, will stay with the object of the breath, the f- that, that complex of feelings. We don't notice the space that, that the breath is moving within. So at the point, at either, either end of the in-breath and the out-breath, at that point, when the breath stops, when it kind of meets that turning point, for those few seconds, we can notice the, the stillness of the mind, the stillness, or the space, if you like, that the breath is moving through. Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. So that like the, the breath reaches its end, and there's stillness. And then the movement begins again. So that uh, we begin to, to uh, those moments of stillness, we can feel a great, notice a great peacefulness. Like when the, uh, when the wind blows through the trees, <laughs> see and it's rustling all the leaves, making a noise, and then if it will uh, follow the script,
1: <laughs>
0: then the wind will subside soon, <laughs> at some point. Eventually the wind will subside, <laughs> and then there's quietness.
1: <laughs> not, bad. not bad. Pretty good. <laughs> I'm not doing this. Is
0: <laughs> this is complete luck. So.
1: <laughs> or
0: like when the refrigerator turns off, you know what that's like. You, don't, you didn't notice there was a noise going until the refrigerator switched off. Oh. Suddenly, ah. Oh. You didn't notice you were being irritated until it's switched off. So similarly, uh, it's like that, reaching the end of the breath like that, noticing that the, when we really allow ourselves to notice the stillness of the mind, it's rather like the refrigerator going off, like, like a gentle feeling of, ah, what a relief. So in the beginning we begin to notice stillness and movement as a direct sort of contrast to each other. There's the people in the room, there's the objects, and there's the space in the room. That's the first stage the next part is where as we deepen the, the meditation and we, we train the attention to stay more steadily with that we find we're not rushing after India or you know back to you know the um, see if you can catch the late showing of the new Star Wars movie after the meditation class or <laughs> whatever you might be planning um, you just stay with that still point and it's more easy to, to stick with that and then. We find that um, even though the the movement of the breath catches the attention, and we've been practicing to keep the uh, sort of the attention locked onto that, that as we we train the mind to stay more with those endpoints and just the stillness of the mind, we begin to notice that actually the stillness of the mind is not completely obstructed or occluded by the movement of the breath. So it's more like you know. If, if if the breath was like this this bar, and so, okay, this end, and then this end, and then this end, and <laughs> this end then it's like as we, we develop the act of attention, the steadiness of attention, it's rather like the breath is a bit further away and we begin to notice the space around the breath. So that you have a still point here and a still point there. But we begin to also notice the quality of stillness of our mind, which is always there behind the movement of the breath, just like even though there's you know, 50, 60 people in this room, the space in, of the room is still here. And in fact, most of our, our bodies are mostly space. You know, you talk to a physicist or any kind of... any of us remember our high school physics or chemistry, you remember, hey, yeah, most atoms, atoms are mostly space. So that's actually the, the largest proportion of anything in this room. It's not people. <laughs> it's space. So, what this means is that there's the movement of the breath, there's that movement of that, there's changing perceptions, but there's stillness simultaneously with it. Just like with the tree, there's both the the flexibility and there's the firmness, they exist together. So uh, what we find is that there's both stillness of mind, stillness of, of heart, and the movement, and they don't obstruct each other. So as we, we develop over time a more steady and keen attention, then we begin to be able to both... Uh, we're not trying to find stillness or peace by wiping out or getting away. You don't only find peace when the refrigerator stops or when the breath ends, but we begin to be able to tap into that fundamental spaciousness and peace even while as activity, there's even thought going on. First of all, it's easier to do in a kind of an external noise, like the kind of convenient rustles in the in the leaves. <laughs> uh and then thinking is difficult because it's so full of interesting content. Interesting good, interesting bad, interesting painful, interesting frightening, interesting exciting. So we get drawn into the stories of thought. But as the meditation develops, we begin to to be able to listen to our own thoughts, like the the rustling of the leaves, or, uh, or um, rather like today, I, was at a, I spent the whole of today at a, a planning hearing in Mendocino, speaking of the committee, <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of, of very differing opinions about uh, a planning application for a Buddhist center on the coast, very strong feelings on all sides. So you find that we can listen to the committee, meet- the internal committee meeting, we can listen to that. You know, I want to, I want to, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, but I got to, I got to. <laughs> and we can rather like the the extremely patient chair of the committee, of the planning commission, <laughs> holding the central position, attending to it all, letting it all in, uh, listening closely, but not taking sides and letting it all meet in the, in the space, in the crucible of the heart. So this is really the... The final aspect of this kind of blending of, of uh, movement and stillness in this respect is um, that we can um, look at the very, uh, quali- rather than even thinking of stillness as, say, external quietude or even the absence of thought. We can look at that that which is the most stable at the most refined level, that which is the the supremely stable element is that quality of our own awareness, knowing or or wisdom. We can use all these different words in in Buddhist tradition. So that in a way what this means is that we're allowing the, the, the world to do whatever it wants. The, the feelings be pleasant or painful, thoughts, uh, um, beautiful or ugly, uh, whatever we perceive, um, that does what it does. Uh, and rather than trying to find any kind of still or stable element within that, we find that the stillness of stability is in training the heart to rest in the quality of awareness. So I don't want to get too technical or too far out, but um, a way of. Uh, I wanted to put these three different levels out just to, to sort of uh, cover the whole picture. So one way of talking about this that my, my teacher, uh, Ajahn Chah, he used to use, at the very end of his life, he, w- he would play a particular theme for a few months at a time. He uh, really enjoyed, he would like take a particular like a question or a conundrum or some sort of theme and whoever came to visit or whenever he was teaching, he would sort of use that over and over again. And so the last theme that he used before he ha- had a stroke and was no longer able to, to speak was um, when people came to visit, he'd say, he, and he was like a he liked to sort of like a like a fisherman, he liked to kind of lure people in.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he'd say, "Have you ever, do you know what still water is? Have you ever seen still water?" And they, you know, like a fish is so sort of suspicious of the hook, like they can, <laughs> they can smell there's something, something odd about this, you know, the, the, that brass of the hook has a, a particular effect on the water. They know there's something. Something's up. Yes, I know what still water is, seen still water, but uh, do you know what flowing water is like? Did you ever see flowing water?
1: <laughs>
0: yes, yes, just nibbling the, the, the bait okay, well, did you ever see s- still flowing water?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and of course, no one would come up, could come up with an answer. Would, no, I never saw that. So you say the mind is, in, is essentially like still flowing water. That what we perceive, what we think, what we feel, our moods, our emotions, they flow. They change. It's their intrinsic nature to arise and change and cease and, and disappear. That's their character. That's what they're like. That's what they do. That's what they're supposed to do. So the the aspect of that mind that aspect of mind, or what we call the conditioned mind, flows, changes. But then that which knows, that which is aware of the perceptions and moods and thoughts, is perfectly still. It's, it's like a mirror reflecting beautiful, ugly, pleasant, painful. Uh, The mirror is utterly unexcited by the beautiful or unthreatened by the the violent or uh, or not disgusted by the ugly. It just impartially reflects all the light that's reflected in it, that shines in it. So similarly, this quality of awareness or knowing, this wisdom of our own heart um, is utterly still. It's like the place of stability, of refuge, as we'd say. So that then with the meditation practice and particularly with insight meditation, which we'll, we'll kind of um, start to go into a bit with the guided period this evening, what we're essentially doing is going through these different levels to establish the heart in that that uh, solid uh, basis of knowing, like training the heart to rest in that, that quality of wisdom so that we're able to uh, listen to the, comi- the the inner committee, or listen to the external committee. <laughs> The people outside, the the internal dialogue, feelings, thoughts, perceptions, and able to to watch it arise, to see it do its thing, and to watch it fade away, and to uh, in a in a way be that heart which is embracing it all and is unconfused by it. And then you might think, well, this has all the emotional appeal of turning into a video camera. <laughs> like, do I really want to be a data reception unit? You know, that's just sort of. Registering sights and thoughts and feelings and, and not being involved with them, or, or this is, it might sound like a kind of dissociation from the world in a kind of clinical way. But essentially, it's it's not that because what happens is that we're really unconfusing ourselves by doing this. We're really attuning the heart to the reality of the way things are. So what happens um, when we establish the heart in this really kind of Uh, unattached knowing, this maybe unpossessive quality of knowing or wisdom, is that when uh, we see something, then our actions, our attitude is guided by by wisdom, by loving kindness, not by reactivity or by greed or by fear or by opinionatedness or self-centeredness. So that when uh, we see a way of helping someone, instantly we help, we see... um, we, uh, the need to be strong, then we're strong. We see th- the need to yield, we can yield. We see the need to just shut up. <laughs> Do nothing, we shut up. We see with a situation nothing can be done. We can leave it alone without feeling like uh, I should be doing something. So that in a way, um, there's a complete detachment. But that detachment is also, it's, and it's kind of paradoxical, that detachment is, is wedded to a complete attunement. So that what guides our actions then is a sensitivity to time and place and not just habit or opinion or um, the dictates of what people around you expect. So this is, um, you know, these simple elements of, of movement and stillness, these, uh, these qualities, uh, you know, when we consider them in this way, they, they map out a whole pathway of going from our ordinary sensory experience of hearing, feeling, thinking moving around, doing our thing in the world, to establishing this this basis of of uh, awareness and uh, a, a knowing. And the point of meditation exercises um, is not just to be able to sit still for a long period of time and <laughs> not worry about your sore knees, or to be able to be a good breather. Sometimes people think, oh, all this stuff about breath, you know, I mean, I knew how to breathe before I came here. <laughs> so we're not trying to become expert breathers or even make the breath or look at the breath as being somehow extra sacred, even though obviously the breath is very central and significant to our life. It's more that we use these exercises so that we can live as a as, um, uh, uh, kind of harmonious uh, human beings, so we can live our life as a, a blessing to ourselves and others. We can do the best that it's possible to do with our, our life. Um, just to put in another couple of, of short sort of theme headings before we have the, the uh, guided meditation period, uh, along with um, this aspect of, of movement and stillness, well, other, another couple of themes that came to mind were talking about when we're uncomfortable. Now, movement and stillness on a very, very pra- practical level, like when do I sit still and when is the time for me to move? <laughs> Because, as we were saying last week, one of the things that we discover very quickly, we might think meditation is about the mind, but boy, does it involve the body. (laughs) That we get sore knees, sore back, uh, discomfort. The physical realm comes very clearly into the picture very soon. You know, we see all the the great pictures, (laughs) We say, wow, Ajahnemurah sits there like a boulder, you know, ages and ages, doesn't move. Well, you know, you should have seen me 25 years ago. (laughs) Oh, uh, squirming like a a a, a jumping bean <laughs> so um so just simple practical things like that i'll uh, maybe talk about later on this evening or if, uh, um I think I'll be useful to people and um also just uh, m- um different forms of meditation which involve movement, particularly walking meditation. So that um, those other two little themes, um, if, depending on how the evening flows and or how, what comes up, uh, I thought those might be useful elements to talk about. Because like, sometimes we think meditation equals you know, being still, just sitting with our eyes closed. But the, even the exercises can involve physical movement as well as, as uh, physical stillness. Okay, so um, if people would like to just uh, stretch your legs for a a minute, literally a minute, ease out your joints for a bit, then we'll have the first uh, guided meditation. Uh, Not to put people on the spot, I'm not sort of taking names, but uh, how many people were not here last week? Oh, quite a few, okay. And uh, so, then, of everyone, how many people have done some kind of meditation practice before? How many have never done any kind of meditation practice before? Oh, great. Okay, good. You bet. Yeah, Yeah, just kind of getting a feel for the where we're beginning from. Can I ask a question, though? Sure.
1: When you're when you're meditating and you're going into, you know, you're following your breath, like you said, like having it as a focal point, and you know that there may be extraneous noise, whether it be from outside or a dog ends up barking or you know some something. How do you maintain, or do you just tell yourself that you may <coughs> be interrupted? Um, kind of like just letting yourself know that you may be interrupted while you're going through and or what? What do you suggest for like helping you to in case like, something starts?
0: Well, there always are those so kind you always, of.
1: you always say in the books or in you know tapes or whatever, they say, oh well, just be in a quiet room and the telephone and, you know, they put a sign do not disturb, but there's always something mm. that
0: well, happens. Right. Well, it depends. It, it can be... I mean, the external things you handle one way and the, the internal things you handle a little differently. Um, like that image of having the breath at the center, like if you... I mean, my mind works in quite a visual way. So just that... Um, keeping the, the, the feeling of the breath at the center. And then so if you hear the, the traffic noise or a dog going, you know, barking, then if you just like imagine that, that's sort of out of the periphery, out of the edges, so that um, you're, you're noticing it, but you're consciously turning your attention away from it. So you're just, um, if you start a war with it, then it's a problem. It's like, uh, again, my Ajahn Chah used to say... Like he, there, was a, there was an occasion when he was... Uh, he came over to England in the 70s, and it was this big thing, you know, the great master coming from the Far East, and came to visit the, this uh, Buddhist group in London. And they had this very small place, like a, a fifth of the size of this room, and about nearly the same number of people all squished inside. And it was one of those very rare hot summer nights in England. <laughs> so everyone was steaming. And, he, and they, they just were having the meditation session and, and then everyone was getting cooking hot. So they opened up the window, but there was a noisy pub playing loud rock music
1: <laughs> across
0: the street. And so then after a few minutes of
1: <laughs> then
0: mutter, 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 shuffle, shuffle. And then they closed the windows again. And so Ajahn Chah was just sitting there the whole time and then everyone starts heating up again. <laughs> They're about to asphyxiate and he's still sitting there. And then they open the windows and there's the rock music. And he let them sit there for like an hour and a half.
1: Aww.
0: So uh, finally he rang the bell and being England, everyone started apologizing immediately.
1: <laughs> uh, we're, we're
0: very good on saying, you know, sorry, do apologize. <laughs> And they'd even been across the road to the pub to try and get them to turn it down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't work. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, but what he said was, the first thing he said was, you think that the sound is annoying you, but actually you're, it's you that's annoying the sound. The sound is just what it is. It's just the air vibrating. It's up to, it's up to us if we go out and start an argument with it. So that's really good advice, so that, you know, the dog might be going or there might be traffic noise. But it's really up to us whether we contend against it or we resent it. You know, we might have been playing the same music ourselves, you know, yesterday, and then suddenly the next door neighbor's playing it, and we're thinking, don't they know I'm trying to meditate? How insensitive. <laughs> so just that, so much in the attitude of not starting a fight with it. And just say, okay, well, that's, that's noise, that's, that's life, I've got ears, so I hear, there it is. Um, and so, just consciously letting it be off at the sides, and just you notice it, and then consciously just letting it go. And you, might, and you can use your imagination different ways. Like, the dog is just being a dog, it's not trying to annoy me, it's just doing its dog thing. You know, that's what dogs do, <laughs> they're supposed to. You know, if I was a dog, I'd bark.
1: <laughs>
0: so, just you know, really working with the attitude in very sort of simple, straightforward ways and just letting the mind come back. If it's an internal thing, uh, like a, an obsessive thought or some, you know, a, an idea or a memory, um, there are different ways that you can you can work with it. Um, one is, one very good one, is to, before you sit down, is to make the, the resolution that... For this half hour, or however long we've decided to, to meditate for, uh, whatever might come up in, into my mind, whether it's you know the uh, you know a great line for a poem, whether it's um, a phone call I've forgotten to make, whether it's you know, whatever, um, say that can all be taken care of later. Right now. I'm just gonna make this this simple practice the most important thing in the world. Just for this half hour, after this time everything else can be taken care of. I'm not saying it's not important, but not now. So you set that up as an attitude at the beginning. And so that when things pop up that the kind of a demanding our attention that you've got to worry about or you've got to plan for, you've got to, you know, rehash or figure out or compose. Then when as it comes up then just very gently and clearly just say, later. Later. And it's amazing how powerful just a simple thing like that is. Because if you just say, shut up and and go away, or you try and suppress it just as an act of will, then same with trying to suppress the noise, you just start a fight. And you can maybe just suppress it by will for a short while, but... That very act of pushing it away gives it energy so that as soon as your grip loosens, boom, it comes back. So just gently and firmly just saying, Later. I'm not saying you're not important. This is a very significant thought. <laughs> this is a, a deeply important anxiety. Uh, I know you need to be worried about, but not right now. So you just. You're respecting it because, you know, you're saying, Yeah, I know. you have every right to say your thing and. and uh, you know, I'm not ignoring you, but not now. And just setting the attitude up in that way helps enormously. So then you're, because the the way that we work with the mind, the the means is the end. If you st- if you if you work with the mind with an aggressive, assertive, willful means, then the result of that action will be tense, agitated, conflicted. If we work with a, a gentle clear, loving manner, then that, that the, the end will be the, the same. The end will be harmonious, will be simple, will be clear. Because the, 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 the philosophy of the end justifying the means is completely non-Buddhist. <laughs> the means is the end, they're, they're completely twinned. So then, um, as that sort of distracted thought comes up, then in a, and if, it, if it doesn't retreat, something really kind of demands um, our attention. Then uh, and someone was asking about this um, earlier this evening, um, the, uh, before the session began. Uh, if it comes back over and over, they say, okay, <coughs> speak up, <you> know, <laughs> rather than trying to keep push it away. Like as they say in, in, in the construction business, if you can't hide it, make a feature of it. <laughs> at least in the kind of construction I was trained in (laughs) if you can't hide it make a feature of it so there it is it's demanding to be thought about and it's not going to go away it's really grabbing the attention okay bring it in and say okay speak up what's this about what is this where is this coming from what's driving this and then what you find is that and and this is one of the I think the session I was planning for next week will go more into this using conceptual thought as, a, as a, a means of meditation, as part of it. You can use a whole um, range of our, our intellectual and intuitive abilities to really investigate what's driving some particular thought or fear or obsession or mood. Um, and we, c- we can work with it. And, and also, the, when we're using thought in that way, it's, it's completely different than just a chattering mind running riot. It a, has a whole measured kind of evenness to it, it's rather, than, rather than having like four radios going on different stations. It's like you listen to one good radio playing something that is worthwhile hearing. <laughs> so that even though there's thought going on, it, it's not as if that is not the meditation. And often that comes across when you read or hear about meditation, it's about it, it seems to be about not thinking, but that's not really the case. Just because from the point of Buddhist point of view of Buddhist psychology, the eye perceives light, the ear perceives sound, the tongue perceives taste. Uh, the, the mind or the brain perceives thought. So the sixth sense is simply um, the mental faculty knowing thoughts and moods, just as another sense object. So, if we can see and hear with perfect peace of heart, we can, uh, like, uh, we can, as I was saying at the very beginning, we can perceive the breath doing its thing, coming, going, changing, and there to be a, a complete peace there as well. Similarly, just because we're thinking doesn't mean to say the mind that can't be completely at peace at the same time. And so, we can use that kind of investigative thought um, to help. Clarify, you know, what's driving this particular feeling or where this is coming from. Um, there's thinking going on, but it's the mind is is focused and, and peaceful at the same time. And then it might be that there is some hot issue, some big event happened in the day, and the memory is just there. And so that we find that it, we can just let it kind of do its thing and go ranting on, but we can be at peace with it, so that rather like we can have a loud noise going out in the street and we can say oh it's just a noise if I don't go and argue with the noise there's no argument it's fine it's just another facet of nature coming and going and changing similarly you know and I've done this many times the mind is ranting on about something it's like oh look at that one go <laughs> <laughs>
1: well
0: wow, he's really stirred up tonight <laughs> yeah, listen to that one and and it's amazing that it, that the in a way the mind is going on and on but it's it's not there, there's an there's a, a it's embraced in in a quality of peacefulness at the same time so on the like and this is where that sort of the fusion of movement and stillness it's like the mind is really moving but we're not arguing with it we're attending to it but we're not caught up in that agitation okay so uh, if people want to get settled and um, so to begin with just uh, let the eyes gently close and then bring the attention into the, the spine, just feeling how we're holding the body. And to begin with, don't, don't try and do anything special, just just le- letting the body sit as it will. and just notice for a moment how we are holding it. So we're perceiving the body within this space of our own awareness as this uh, field, space of knowing, of awareness, and this cluster of perceptions here in the middle called the, the body, particularly feeling the, the spine. And as we, we hold the body in that awareness and just letting the spine grow upwards, letting it stretch and reach skyward not to be tense or or rigid but just growing firm upright like a the stem of a, a flower reaching towards the sun So just as movement and stillness are a pair firmness and and relaxation within our mental attitude, to support that, it's really helpful to establish this within the body. so just as the 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 upright spine sitting in a dignified Way helps to bring alertness, energy to the body. Then with the spine as the central column, just let the rest of the body relax around the spine. Like a gentle warm light flowing down through the whole body, softening all the points of tension and tightness. In the face, of the stomach shoulders throughout our whole physical being through the pelvis, legs so the body relaxes softens around the spine like a a length of a beautiful soft cloth just draped over this central column. Easy, free of tension, gentle. Taking a few minutes is to establish the body in this harmony of, of energy and relaxation. Finding that that point of balance just with the way that we sit the way the body holds itself Now, feeling the the presence of the body here in this space of our own awareness. As you were saying, just let this cluster of feelings be at the very center. Let the noises of the street, helicopters, noises of the room. leave these around the edges of our awareness, beyond the outer petals of this this uh, mandala. It's placing the feelings of the body at the centre, and then slowly narrowing the attention down and the body as a whole, just to narrow the attention onto the, the rhythm of the breathing. just the feeling of the breath. Just however the body happens to breathe, long or short, deep or shallow, doesn't matter. It's letting the breath happen on its own. of feelings we hear at the very center of this mandala of our attention letting the the mind the attention rest upon that gentle flow we get caught up in something, the attention carried away, distracted by a thought or a memory. As soon as you notice that distraction has happened, consciously let go, release that. Loosen the grip on that. It's as if we wandered out to the edges of the mandala. Let go whatever has spun us out there. Come back to the center again back to the feeling of the breath, stabilizing the attention, steadying it with the breath in this way. Uh, saying before just following the breath closely begin to pay particular attention to the the end of the out breath the end of the in breath noticing those turning points those moments where the breath pauses not trying to extend them unnaturally but just noticing Letting the mind attend. Tasting that quality of of stillness, that pause as the breath turns. And each of us has to find our own way, maybe the, just getting anywhere near the breath to begin with is a, a real task, so just to, to see where we are at for ourselves, just work with the breath as we find it. The mind is very busy and we work with it just trying to establish some connection to the breath. If the mind is quite calm and the attention is steady then we can be a little more refined. One is not better than the other, it's just the material that we we need to work with. But as you find, as and when you find the attention more steady, just slowly begin to pay careful attention to these endpoints and see if you can feel even just for a moment, a second, touching upon that quality of of inner stillness, that pause, touching that innate stillness of the space of, of the mind.
1: doesn't matter
0: how many times the mind gets carried away, its attention, attention is infinitely renewable. Just when we notice we've lost it, become distracted, just release that, whatever the mind has grabbed, release it, let go of it. Return back to the breath again, very gently, very patiently, we fail, we let go, begin again, Mind is quite steady, just loosen the, the focus on the breath just a little bit, relax that focus on the breath. So if you imagine like the breath as, as like a, a cycle, a bar of, of light a point of light oscillating within the space of the mind, in a way just letting that, taking a step back from that, just watching that oscillation happen within the space of the mind, noticing the space around it, the space within it, before it, after it, permeating it. Just as a a beam of light, in space. It's there, it's a form, it's got a shape, color, tone, but yet it's not solid. There's space around it, within it, before and after it. Just relaxing that, focus on the breath, just to see if you can catch a sense of that innate stillness or spaciousness. Within which the breath is moving. Extending that quality of stillness, noticing how that it's not only present when the breath stops, but like the space in the room, it's always here, whether there's people or not. So there's the movement of the breath the space, stillness, which is its environment. The mind is is settled enough, stable enough, to see if you can let the the heart simply rest in this quality of of knowing, awareness, even letting go of the breath as a particular object. Just establishing this open, receptive Embracing awareness, noticing the sounds or physical feelings, the breath or thoughts arising within this space of our knowing, coming into consciousness, appearing, changing, dissolving. So that external quality of space is mirrored by the the internal or subjective quality of knowing the heart open to all things, receiving all things, letting go of all things. Now if the mind is very busy and sliding here and there, then we don't need to just idealistically let go of any kind of attempt at concentration. The currents are pulling, the wind is blowing, so we need to keep the anchor down. So, just keep the attention focused on the breath and stabilize the attention in that way. But the more and more easily that the mind, the attention stays rooted in the present moment then we can incline towards this quality of pure knowing, this open-hearted awareness, this receiving everything, knowing everything, or sounds or thoughts, physical sensations, letting them all in, knowing them, letting them all go, as if our heart was breathing them all in, breathing them all out. Please stretch your legs if you need to. To uh, open things up for any questions uh, people might have or whatever useful dialogue we might have together. Yes? <coughs> Can you talk about legs
1: or arms or the parts of the body that are just moving Uh
0: What Well, as I was, I was saying, that this is. Um, becomes a very major part of meditation practice. Um, uh, When I I first, uh, as I said, I I walked into the monastery in Thailand, um, and I'd never meditated before in the stand, just just to um, maybe make you feel a little bit better, (laughs) so uh, we would sit on a thin grass mat on a concrete floor, and the standard was each sitting was an hour long and you weren't supposed to move. And so uh, the, my immediate introduction to meditation after the first 15 minutes was pain. <laughs> and so it's important to realize that the Buddhist meditation isn't the kind of masochistic uh, enterprise. It is, happens to end up that way. <laughs> <laughs> the side effect rather than the purpose. And so one of the things that's, that's most useful, I mean in a way working with, it's not that we're seeking physical pain at all, um, and I think we all quite happily do without it, but there's a couple of issues there. One of which is when we learn how to deal with physical pain in a skillful way, then that translates directly towards emotional pain. And uh, physical pain is a kind of monosyllabic language. It's like, ouch. This hurts. Don't want. <laughs> Very simple. You know, get away. Stop. <laughs> ah, that's better. Whereas emotional pain, as we know, is a kind of incredibly convoluted and, and distracting. So, Uh, it's very useful to learn how to work with physical discomfort. And um, so what you find is, again, with this sort of um, balance of movement and stillness, if we go at the pain with, like, I have vowed I'm not going to move, everyone's watching, (laughs) you know, it's wrong to move, I should just sort of muscle my way through it, then it's like a direct route to the, the osteopath, if not the emergency room. You know, you can't just do it on will. The body won't comply. I mean, we can override pain for a while, but it's you're feeling pain because the body is being stressed to some degree. It's a warning sign. So if we're that rigid or stiff, we break. If on the other extreme, we're just sort of floppy, and as soon as we feel the slightest bit of discomfort, we start fidgeting. Then we never really experience any kind of deep peace because we've be, we develop a reactivity towards pain. And we, we're, in a way, if we move as soon as we experience discomfort, then we're making ourselves very, um, very vulnerable, very weak, in a way. Uh, so, what we call the middle way is like finding the balance between those extremes. And the, 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 uh, the balance between two extremes, it's not like, okay, never move over here and then move at the slightest twitch over here. It's not like, okay, move half the time. <laughs> it's a different it's a different thing. The middle way is, is really like the, the point where the two pivot from. Not just halfway between. It's not fifty, fifty. It's it's like the middle way is the sort of the source of, of the two extremes. So what that means is to to find the right attitude towards discomfort. So, um, when we feel physical pain, then the first instinct is to tense up against it. We find ourselves resisting it, hating it, frightened of it, annoyed with it, and it feels like a reasonable hatred. You know, it's 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 totally valid to, to dislike this because it's not likable. So then, rather like Ajahn Chah talking about the noise in the street, then it seems reasonable to think the noise is annoying me, but actually or like the, the pain in my knee is, is annoying, but in fact it's me that's going to annoy, out to annoy the pain, or that the mind is grabbing hold of it and starting a fight with it. So when we, we in a way, start to let go of the reactivity, like pain is bad, it shouldn't be there, I don't want this say, so, well, actually, what's going on here? What is this? So, um, as we were talking about when things distract us, with um, the woman who was asking the question earlier about sound, pain is exactly the same. If You can't hide it; make a feature of it, you know. So that if the pain in the leg or the back or the arm or wherever is 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 really grabbing the attention, okay, don't look upon that as an irritating distraction to the breath, which is you know I'm <laughs> I'm trying to concentrate on shove the breath aside, okay, forget you, let's make the pain, the, the, give that center stage. So then we, we, we bring it into center stage and say, okay, what's here? What is this? And we begin to notice, well there's the feeling itself, which is unpleasant, like a sound might be irritating. It's an unpleasant feeling. We're not trying to make it pleasant, we're not trying to wipe it out, but here it is, it's an unpleasant feeling. When well, you see the feeling is one thing and what what the mind adds to it is another we see that I don't want this I hate this this is bad I'm going to get I need cartilage surgery you know I'm never going to walk again they so have to carry me out of here I'm going to sue yomo <laughs> for my my knee operations. And, you know, this is like three seconds after the first twinge. You know,
1: <laughs> you're
0: already in the in the operations, operating theater. So then we see that happening. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is actually just a feeling. And we begin to see that the distance between where there's the, the discomfort is like over here, and where real physical damage is happening is like over here. And there's a huge strata in between. So, what we find is that we can learn to be with that, that uncomfortable feeling, not by just being sort of tough and resisting it you know, through strength, but just being able to say, this is just an unpleasant feeling. I don't have to hate it. I don't have to fight it. I don't have to worry about it. It's just a feeling. And if I need to, I'll move. But right now, it's bearable. It's not that bad. So again, with the question earlier, the main thing is the attitude towards it. So we, we establish an attitude determined not to start a war with our own body. So then um, we find that the, the discomfort can be there, but we can be quite at peace with it. Uh, if, it's, if you're looking at the discomfort as an annoying intruder that's ruining my meditation, you know, you're, you're, you're dead already. <laughs> so that's why we bring it in and then say, oh, this is a challenge to have kindness, loving kindness towards this feeling, which is not likable. But we don't have to, when we say loving kindness as an, an all-encompassing attitude, it doesn't mean to say we're trying to like it, but say, well, here it is, here's a pain in my leg, or here's a headache. You, you can't will a headache away. So that softening of the attitude towards it is one piece. The other piece is then, um, we, when you bring that into the center of attention, like, this is what I would always find with the pain in my legs, which I would have, like, both thighs burning. Both thighs burning, and then the top of whichever foot, and the ankle, whichever foot was on top of however I folded my legs, that one would be kind of burning a little hotter than the thighs were. <laughs> Every time. So, you, as you bring it into the center of attention, you begin to notice, like, Wow look at how tight I've made this. And that while we've been busy with the breath, we've created this whole sort of locked up tension, resisting this discomfort. So then we look at that, and then just relaxing the body with it, like relaxing, like with a yoga posture, like relaxing into a pose. I imagine many people here do Hatha yoga. Yeah, people nodding. It's being a Yomo kind of event. So it's just like relaxing into a pose. You know, you, you're trying to get the right, you know, the right pose, and then you're sort of, you're, you're kind of rigid in it. And then Mary says, just relax into it. And you think, oh yeah. And suddenly there's an the extra couple of inches of mani- of manifested from somewhere. So it's exactly the same. We see how we're tensing up against it, and then oh. I can relax into it. You see how the joints, say in the in the hips, in the knees, all the way through, are like tight. So just physically relaxing the system then actually reduces the amount of tension that we're creating there. As the tension drops, the cause of the pain is being largely removed. So as I say, like a, you know, a, a level seven pain then drops to a level four. <laughs> and uh, when well, there is no sort of official categories. You know, it's kind of random thoughts, but so that the actual degree of pain stops, and then the fact that we're not fighting with it means that even though there's a there's a level four discomfort, it's not a problem. And then when we we're working with it in a more kind of real and direct way, then we we have much more a- accurate intuitive sense for the body. So then when we know, oh, the body is really being stressed here, we're kind of getting into the 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 the, the, the the zone where things really are being stretched. Okay, now's the time to move. And then when we move, it's not an act of aversion to the pain. It's an act of kindness towards the body. This is a major difference. So I always like to emphasize that. And my teacher would always say, just always wait for a few minutes. When you really want to move, just wait. For another minute or two, just wait. Just relax a bit, just be patient. And then, and I always like to emphasize, wait, and this is a kind of trick, because you have to be really sincere to do this. You have to wait until it's not out of aversion for the pain, but it's a a kindness to the body. Now the inner lawyers really start going (laughs) at that point. I'm being kind, I'm being kind, now can I move? Right. But are we really being kind here, or is this just fear and hatred? It is. It is. It's real kindness. It's real kindness. <laughs> Please, can I move? So you know, it can be like that. So this is the committee kind of going, right? So really, but just that the blessing of just like waiting, being patient, and then when you move, then there's a then there's a physical relief, but there's also a relief in the heart as well. If we move out of fear and out of hatred of the pain, ah, oh, bliss, ah. And then, as soon as there's another twitch, oh my god, it's come back, <laughs> you know, and we we're back in the sort of fear hatred tangle again. So then, why this is so useful? It's not just a matter of like with the breath. It's it's not a matter of learning to wrestle with with physical pain or some sort of masochistic issue, kind of b- behavior. What we find is that we can then we start to relate to emotional pain in the same way when we're feeling grief or anger or sadness or or fear, then we find that we can be with those painful feelings and abide with them, accepting them, knowing them and letting go of them in exactly the same way. So let me know how it goes. Also, just with chronic pain that has nothing to do with the posture of the body, it's exactly the same. Just letting it letting yourself fully accept it in the heart that makes a huge difference. So we've got maybe time for one more. you sleep
1: peacefully.
0: <laughs> yeah. Embracing the dreams well, that's the um, the, uh, the other um, main drift, along with agitation in one direction, is dullness in the other. so uh the the, the Pali words for these and, uh, these are old favorites of the 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 Buddhist meditator. they call that restlessness is called udacha kukucha. Very wonderfully onomatopoeic. Udacha kukucha, it feels like you've got sand under your skin. And then uh, dullness is called tinamita, or sloth and torpor. <laughs> so, and like last week I was addressing this a little bit that you know, these are the ways the mind tends to drift. That we, if we think about relaxing, we tend to think, you know, conk out. And if we tend to talk, we think about alertness, we mean like, you know, <laughs> getting, you know, getting excited or getting frightened or, or, um, or whatever, you know, like uh, the the planning meeting today. <laughs> the uh, but dullness is uh, uh, it works like like sleep. I mean, basically, what we're trying to do is to discover that dimension of our being, which is both completely relaxed and completely awake simultaneously. And you might not think you have you have you, you were born without one of those, <laughs> but that that's the very basis of our our mind. It you know has that combination of qualities. The mind's true nature is both perfectly awake and perfectly peaceful. So that we're and what we're doing with, with the, this kind of practice is we're we're noticing that drift towards dullness. So it's like mishandling relaxation. So because it works like sleep, it happens in cycles. So that if you know that your mind has a tendency towards dullness, that as soon as you say, relax, then, <coughs> you know, out it goes, then in a way we need to catch that first wave of, of slipping into sleep. So that one good thing to do is to, you can sit with your eyes open. Uh, another trick, I think I was, I forget who I've taught what to. <laughs> um, but one trick um, let's see. Where is the... Yeah, let's just use this. If you imagine this as a matchstick? okay. Say, <laughs> so if you sit with your, your hands in your lap like this, and you have a matchstick between your thumbs, right? So then, as soon as... And you, you hold it off your palm, so it's up in the air like that, right? You can see. So then, as soon as the mind starts to drift in the first wave of dullness, the match drops. And so the hands are very sensitive, so as soon as that happens, you you notice it. So then um, that's a signal, like, wake up. So also keeping an acute consciousness of the spine, because when we get dull, then the back starts to bend and the head starts to droop. So doing that little thing with a... a, you can use a matchstick or, or... you know, anything but something between the thumbs because that's the first signal is that you know the thumbs will drop and then you can notice and then if you then just make the effort to be alert at that moment you know and you don't let that sort of first you don't sink in then but you you pull out of it then the you kind of you uh prevent that whole process from getting underway once you're in it then it's like well, you know, come back in 20 minutes <laughs> when the sleep cycle is over. Well, maybe less, but it can it can be that long. Another way, if you're really desperate, you know, if you if you really develop seriously, is um, you put something on your. It's <laughs> difficult. It's easier if you've got no hair. <laughs> this is very popular amongst the monastics with a sleep problem. So then you. And then if you're sitting with other people, you know, you have the embarrassment factor.
1: <laughs> if,
0: it, if it's just a matchstick, you yeah, hey, nobody knows. But if you've got like a, a box of matches or a book on your head, this is a little bit tricky, this one with a round bottom. but Then, you know, as soon as you start to kind of drift, off it comes. And then if it's something noisy, everyone knows. So it's called... Offsetting one defilement against another,
1: <laughs>
0: so you play your vanity off against your sleepiness.)
1: <laughs> you
0: have to use your your kind of, your, your kind of bad habits to, to your own benefit. But if you it's not a guaranteed thing because what, what you find, the really experienced meditators, they can develop the whole technique. of <laughs> asleep. I'm wide awake. I'm wide
1: awake.
0: I, knew, I knew novices in Thailand who could get practically down to the floor without, without letting it drop. So, I mean, there, are, there are like a thousand techniques for dealing with dullness, but those are a couple of, of easy ones. M- using a candle flame as a meditation object is good too, or any kind of visual object, because again it's like the hands dropping, as soon as that first wave of dawns comes in, the vision separates. The eyes won't keep a focus. So, just keeping the edges of the flame sharp. Then, as soon as you drift, then you you know. Okay, so we've we've amazingly enough an hour and a half has gone by. So, uh, we'll uh, call it quits there for the evening. Another delightful night in Ukiah. So. Uh, Please take whatever has been useful and I look forward to uh, seeing people next week.